the first time I came to Scotland was by horse and wagon from the south of England to uh, the Outer Hebrides. Um, that was when I first came to Scotland. Um, and then I just stayed, mostly for people that uh, I became friends with or uh, that I fell in love with, um, and I, I just stayed, yeah. Invariably, whenever I ask somebody who moves specifically like a different country, but oftentimes even different cities, there's always uh-huh. there's always a boy or girl involved at some point in the process. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, it was pretty much that. Yes, well, that's certainly why I stayed. Um, and yes, and and it is a different country, no? Scotland and England, very different. And I I, I love them both, of course. But uh, yeah, very very attached to Scotland. If I've got my timeline right, was your was it that that would have been right around the time that you um the Donovan, I suppose had invited you to come live on a I don't want to use the word commune but that's kind of what it sounds like from the outside yeah well yes um I I met him uh he was a a friend of art school students that my partner was friends with and we met Donovan who told us about uh some islands that he'd bought off the west coast of Skye and uh that he wanted to people it with uh, sympathetic people with, with artistic people and singers and writers and painters, not as a community, not as a commune, people living their own lives in their own places. But he called it a West Coast Renaissance, right, where he just wanted sympathetic people to be in in the ruined houses that he'd bought and, and on the land that he'd bought. Um, and, and that was very appealing uh, so we set off to get there. It took us a year and a half by horse. How long did that experience last? Well, to be there, about, um, to be on Donovan's place, about two hours. <laughs> because, we, <laughs> because we got there. <laughs> I was not expecting that. You got me. <laughs> Yeah, we got there and realized there wasn't a place for us because it had taken us a year and a half to get there. And so all the cottages were taken, all the land was taken, and there wasn't a place for us. And so we carried on to the Outer Hebrides, to the Outer Islands, and that's where we stayed for a little while. It must have been a very appealing idea at that point in your life and career to just be around that many other creative people. That was what was so appealing, yes, that... Um, Sorry. Um, to be around people, well, we knew some of them. They were they were, they were friends, uh, but to be around people who were not as judgmental as the place, as the, the lives we left behind, we were trying to leave behind, um, and to be amongst sympathetic people, yeah, that really did appeal. When you say judgmental, what do you, what do you mean by that exactly? Um. I guess in nineteen early nineteen sixties to mid nineteen sixties, it was very hard to be um, your own kind of person. You, you you were expected to conform. Certainly in my family, I was expected to conform. I never quite could, and so it always came across as disapproval and judgment. And um, it was lovely to leave it. Really lovely to leave it behind. And uh, try for a different kind of life where where there wasn't that kind of judgment to be amongst friends, to be amongst sympathetic people who understood because they they were also trying to leave that kind of judgment as well. I certainly understand that from, you know, the perspective of your family. I mean, that's oftentimes uh, that's what families do, right? <laughs> And they're looking out. They, you know, they think they're looking out for your your best interest, and they've got a very specific Absolutely. idea. Yes, but you, but it's a. I guess I suppose it's a little bit surprising to hear that that was the case in London at the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, of course, there were a lot of people in London in the arts and music, and uh, who 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 would have felt the same as me. But they they, uh, yeah. Again, it was, it was, 
You know, you find your own people. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. And I didn't. I didn't in London. Although I was around um, very successful musical people, I didn't find my own success amongst in that world. Uh, and, and so I was quite happy to leave it. What was your sense at the time? And I suppose now as well, but what was your sense of who your people were? Who my people were? Young people, young people who were finding it as equally difficult as I was. And, and yeah, I, I think, actually, you know, it's a funny question because I don't think I, I did feel as if I had my people, maybe one or two. I think that's a dirty secret that a lot of us don't talk about is we never, you know, we find people who we, we can connect with, but maybe, you know, maybe some people never really do find their people. That's quite a thought. But yes, you're you're right. Maybe maybe they don't. Maybe they're always just an indi- individual blowing in the wind. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't think I found my people. I found my family. I found my own family with having my own children and my partner's children and all of us. You know, we are we are a family. Uh, but as for my people in 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 my Actually, no, that is a thought. When I came back to music, to recording music, in um, around about 2004, 2005, I did find my people, and they were a whole lot younger than me, and they understood. They understood what I had been trying to do back when I was their age. They understood it in a way that my contemporaries hadn't. And so, yes, I did find uh, people who felt much more like like me um, than I had when I was young. It sounds like your people found you. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, yeah, I guess yeah. Someone like Devendra Banhart, who who was always such an incredible advocate for me. And you know, people have said that I influenced him, or for, or that I influenced Joanna Newsom. I didn't. They made a place for me, where you know it wasn't that I brought them along. They made a place for me. Which so yes, that that should answer your question. I did find people who 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 were sympathetic to what I'd done when I was their age. Yeah, that was really good. He, I suppose, somewhat famously wrote you a letter. Um, he he was he was asking for advice. Is that right? He was. Yes, he wrote me a letter with uh, well, it was a sort of package with a, a tape and some drawings and some some lyrics. Uh, and he sent it to my record label, and it sat on a desk for ages and ages until somebody realised, oh, we better give that to her. Um, and by that time, it was all crumpled and coffee stained. And but when I opened that envelope, it was just—it was lovely. It was just so good to hear what he was doing and to see what he was doing in his beautiful drawings. And him asking me if he should carry on. And of course, I, I said, you know, because he was having a really hard time finding anybody to listen to him. But yes, I said, of course, yeah, please, please carry on because it's great. And we've been friends since, which is lovely. It's one of those funny things. That's that's a, that's an easy advice, easy piece of advice to give to somebody else. Uh-huh. But it sounds like one, perhaps there wasn't anybody there to give you that advice. And two, oftentimes, especially when we're really down on ourselves, Mm-hmm. We're not in a place where we're willing to accept that advice. Yeah, I never had that. I, I it was very different back then. Feedback was something that you didn't get. You know, but with the internet, things that kind of thing has changed. But you know, I I put out music and had no response to it, and so all I could figure out was that I was no good at it. Um, and there wasn't anybody saying. This is great. Even the people I was working with, nobody said, this is worth doing, this is worth putting out, this is worth having people listen to. There wasn't anybody like that for me back then. 
And that's what I mean about the more recent experience that um, that did happen. That, that, you know, there was the encouragement, there was the understanding, I think, this time around, not that time around. Do you think at the time, if the places were switched and you had reached out to somebody, um, that you would have been receptive to that advice? I think so. I think so. I think I'd have been so surprised. <laughs> but just that anybody anybody thought that what you were doing is worthwhile? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, people didn't say that kind of thing, really. Um, producers and managers and, you know, you just did what you were told to do and Nobody actually ever passed any opinion of whether it was any good or not. And so, you know, where do, where do you get your encouragement from? If you have great faith in yourself and your own abilities and your own um, creativity, that's different. But if you don't, it's easy, easy to get left behind, to get crushed and uh, I, I sure didn't have any at all well I did in the songs I loved that I really liked the songs that I was writing and I did have an ambition for them but when they didn't make any impression on anyone then you know I thought, oh well they can't be any good then <laughs> that's it exactly is that you need to have a certain level of faith or belief in yourself to to take that leap in the first place. Sure. Yes, I did. Right at the very beginning when I was 19, 20, um, when I first started writing songs and taking them around people, I thought that they were good. <laughs> I really did. But when nothing happened to them out in the real world, out in the wider world, it doesn't take much for you to go, oh, well. <laughs> oh, well, can't be any good then. So that's why I left it all behind. Yeah, it, it seems like, and I think that this is a fairly universal experience. I, I've certainly been through it myself. Is that it's not, it's not one thing that it 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 slowly chip your confidence slowly chips away. Yes, it does. It does, and and that's certainly what happened because I did put out, I did record a few singles that were not released, and that. That was that was difficult to to deal with and to keep going and to keep making more. Uh, you know, oh, this time it'll work. This time it'll be great. This time I'll prove everyone wrong, and it just didn't happen. So, ouch! <laughs> but it must have felt in you know in in the earliest days. I mean, I know that you were very hesitant. You didn't want to record somebody else's song. You were, you were offered this. Jagger Richard song, mm -hmm. um, obviously very high, high profile, but that's but that's not the reason why you were doing any of this. But uh -huh. but still, you know, to have met the people that you met and to have been given the opportunity to record at it sounds like you know nineteen or twenty, it must have felt for a brief moment like like you had made it. <laughs> yes, or at least that there was a chance that that this would work. For me, it wasn't what I wanted at first. I wanted my songs to, in, in their simple arrangements, to be out there. But then meeting Andrew Lugolden and being offered a Stones song to record, you know, at first I was, I don't want to do that. I'm, you know, I was cross. <laughs> I was saying, I want to do my songs. Um, but on the other hand, having that experience of recording that song with all those incredible musicians. Um, I, I, I did love it. I did love it. And then when it didn't work, that was, a, a, that was, you know, when, when I was recording it and when I was around all of those people, I was really sure that this was going to work and, and that this would take me where I wanted to go. And when, when it didn't, I think that was the beginning of the chipping away um, and, and that uh, you know, subsequent songs that I recorded and uh, were going to be singles and then were shelved. That was, it was hard. But, you know, I don't want to come across as too sorry for myself, although I really, <laughs> I was, I was, I was. 
you know, you were 20. I mean, we all, we all are when we're that age. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was over a couple of years, you know, just. But even still early, early mid twenties, I think, you know, we all, we all kind of feel like we're fighting the world. Oh, I sure did. (laughs) I did. And I was, but yeah, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have not done it. I wouldn't have not had that experience. Um, it taught me a lot, taught me a lot about people and about ambition as well, and that uh, I really didn't need it in the end. Ambition? Yeah, I, I really didn't. Um, I, 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 well, you know, the story is that I just left everything and everybody I knew in London and took off with a horse and cart for the north of Britain. But, um, yeah. My my musical ambition, I didn't care about it anymore. I really didn't. I think it was a way of coping with with the failure, but uh, yeah, I didn't care about it anymore. That's interesting. So that that's that's liberating in a sense. Yes, yes, really, it really was. And then I got pulled back into it when I met Joe Boyd, and you know I'd been writing songs all along the journey, and he wanted to make an album of those songs. And I said, uh, I don't want ever to put in the studio again. But uh, he persuaded me, and I, I did make another recording, an album this time. And when nothing happened to that, oh, boy. <laughs> that that was 30 years' worth of uh, not caring anymore, um, really, from 1970 when it came out to the year 2000 when it was reissued I hadn't thought I really hadn't cared about music in all of those years it was a way of you know not not um, acknowledging how much how much it, it was it was painful for a young person there's a difference between not caring and actively avoiding something I actively avoided it. I didn't even sing to my kids. You know, I was um, definitely out out of music altogether. It's interesting to hear you say that you you didn't care, because um, that's 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 a hard switch for most people to flip. You know, most people can't this this thing that they're so have been so passionate about and have you know, spent so, so much time and so many years and, you know, so much effort doing to just suddenly be able to shut it off is really difficult for most people. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, yeah, it seemed to be not too difficult for me. (laughs) I carried on with it for a long time. Um, Yeah, I think, oh, it's hard to remember, actually, what what I did to, to, to make myself not care. Um, I suppose I made another life. I made an, uh, other things be important, and they were. Uh, m- my, um, my 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 life and my my partner and my horse and my dogs and then my children and uh, the whole life that we all made together. That that uh, was way more important to me by that time than caring about whether I had made it or not in the music world. I made my own. <laughs> yeah, you made your own world, so there was never really you, there was there was no regret to dwell on really. No, no. I had had no regrets at all and I still don't. I have no regrets about the way that it worked. And uh I, I think yeah. The the the, the one regret that I, I say in my book is that I didn't sing to my kids, and that music wasn't a big part of their lives growing up. I, I do regret that, but uh, apart from that, not at all. <laughs> it must have been a very surreal experience for them the day that they realized that not only do you have this beautiful voice, but that you had led that life. Yes. Yes, because I didn't ever refer to it. I didn't tell them about it. And, you know, when they found out, you know, why didn't you tell us that you knew Mick Well, I didn't really know him. You know, I sat next to him a few times. (laughs) But (laughs) you didn't tell us even that. Um, That I was part of that world. 
yeah, they knew nothing about it. And I think, uh, yeah, it, it was very exciting for, for me as well to be able to um, to tell them about it without uh, without mm, without any regret. I think it was uh, it was a good time to be able to bring it all to them, and and that's why I wrote my book. Really, was to to tell them the story. That's how it started, anyway. To tell them that um, it did happen. Obviously, the process of writing a book takes a lot longer than just telling your kids. <laughs> yes. You know, they, they're grown up by the time you finish it. Exactly. Yeah. With kids of their own. Yes. Yeah, that's true. It took, a, I started writing it a long, long time ago before them uh, and then eventually finished it last year. <laughs> so, yeah, it did take a while. I think we also often don't realize when we're in the middle of something how you know important and substantial these things are especially again when you're you know 19 or 20 and everything's happening so quickly yes yeah yeah i i did know how incredible the time was uh, i couldn't have articulated it really um but i i knew that the time that i was growing up in and the time that i was uh, becoming an adult in was a really important time, a really um, different time, and I, I didn't, I couldn't tell you what I thought was happening. I just knew that it was an extraordinary time and probably wouldn't happen again. And I, I think, I think I was right. It, it, it when I when I think of being a part of it. I'm really quite proud, I think, of 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 my generation of of the changes that we made. You know, a lot got thrown out as well, but um, I think that the changes that were made then in attitude to different kinds of people um, were really important, and I I am proud of that time. Uh, this is something that that my generation has been learning the hard way over the last certainly the last five or six years is that the no hard fought battles are won forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. And isn't it sad? <laughs> yeah. That uh, it seems the pendulum seems to have gone the other way. Uh, so, so hard. Um, but you have to have hope that it will go back again. You know, that, that there's another generation coming up that will, Maybe, 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 maybe. Oh, your generation, you know, I know, I know your generation is um, much more aware. Yeah, I, I think it's sort of the realization that, that progress is not linear. Yes, yeah, uh, that's right. And uh, wouldn't it be good? <laughs> Check that off the list and let, let's move on to the next thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, really, instead of harking back to other times. Yeah. How was the process of going back and just, I, I suppose, just really going back over your life and getting a book out of it? Um, it was quite hard in some ways in, in that um, being a songwriter, uh, you, you, you know, the lyrics don't get changed, don't get edited. But if you're wanting a uh, something published, a book published, it has to go through all kinds of processes, lawyers and editors and copy editors and people who say, no, you can't put it that way or you need a comma here or you don't need something there. And that I found really hard because I'm a terrible con control freak and I want mm -hmm. to way that I wanted it um, so there were a few battles but uh, it, the, the actual writing of it and remembering I enjoyed that um, and I don't remember I don't remember actually actually sitting down and writing it it just it, it just sort of just came and um, 
it was fun putting it together, uh, putting all the different bits of it together, a bit like a bit like a drawing or a painting that um, I wanted it to be more like a picture than, you know, some kind of social document, <laughs> which I was never very keen on, on writing. Um, I just wanted to try to portray the way it was for this young bunch of people in 1968, 69, 70, trying to make a different life, life for themselves. Um, I hope I've done that. I hope. <laughs> I will confess that I, that I just received it over the weekend, so I've, I've only just started it, but I will... I, I will let you know. I will give you an informed opinion by the time I please finish. Please do, please do, please do. It's really useful for me to know how, how, it, how it comes across. And I'm very curious if you agree with this. I, I think that part of your appeal during that period when you came back was the sense of there was a sense of mystery about you. You, you, sh- you know, you didn't feel it. Certainly, you, you know, you're living your life and, and, you know, and you have these children, but, um, I, I do think that, I mean, obviously overall the music is the most important thing and that's the thing that's endured, but, but there is a lot of initial excitement feeling like you've discovered this thing that nobody knows about. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, that, that was, that was quite hard really. I, w- when I was writing the story, was that I knew that there was great romance about it, that, that um, it, it was thought to be a, a fantastically romantic story. And To be fair, the element of you riding across the country in a, a horse-drawn carriage is, is fairly romantic. I know, and I didn't want to spoil that. But on the other hand, <laughs> on the other hand I wanted to bring a bit of reality into it, that, that it wasn't just, we weren't skipping through rainbows. Uh, maybe we were in our heads, but actually it was quite, uh, quite different to that. And, but actually the reality of it was what was so great, um, not just that it was romantic and, and <sighs> lovely, but the actual reality of what we were doing and the changes that we were making in ourselves were, were fantastic. And, and I, I have no regrets about that either. I, I'm, I think about that journey and what, what we did and the, um, what we gave up in order to do it. And we, we had nothing, you know, it wasn't like we were, it wasn't as if we were middle-class kids with any kind of trust fund or anything like that behind us. We had nothing behind us. And we made it up as we went along. And I'm really proud of that, that it wasn't just a fairy tale, that it was something that we had to do. And it was something that we did rather rather well, I think, rather, rather bravely. Um, and it did educate me for the rest of my life. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad I did it. But yes, it was hard. It was difficult making the choices as I was writing the book. You know, do I really want to make this sound as if it was dreadful? No, I don't want to make it sound as if it was dreadful. I want to make it as real as possible. But also that it was extraordinary, that what we were doing was extraordinary, as well as a bit romantic, (laughs) that um, we were pretty crazy, (laughs) but in a good way, I think. It's not Dickensian, certainly, but but, but I also do, I I do think that people do romanticize and can romanticize the struggles. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I do myself now. I think I have romanticized them, but yeah, I, I wanted to make it. I, I suppose entertaining is the wrong wrong word. Uh, affecting or or to to make it to make more of it. No, that it wasn't just just uh, just a lovely lovely dance through through roses and tulips. It was <laughs> that would have been a terrible book. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody wants to re- read a book where everything goes great yeah. for the protagonist, right? Yeah, right. Yes, yeah. 
Well, it went pretty great in the end. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, yeah, I, I think yes that 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 was the, the was the difficult part the cho- choosing who to write about, how to write about them, who to hurt, who not to hurt, and things like that. Now, when you say hurt, I think I hope I haven't, but probably. Um, I can see that I could have hurt some people by telling their story in my way rather than them telling their own. Um, but, yeah, I, my sister-in-law, when I, I said, you know, well, uh, people might doubt that I'm remembering it right. or, or And she said, but it's your memories. It's nobody else's. It's yours. And you just write it from your own memory. And that's that. And so I did. You know, it is a 180. And what I, I guess... So, you know, as you said, you, you, you didn't really have that much difficulty walking away from that life, but was it, was it something that you were compartmentalizing or was it something that you chose to, to, to not remember? Because if so, the process of writing a book is, is a bit of a 180 from that. Yeah. Well, there are some parts that I actually don't remember. I've blotted them out. The, the very beginning of the horse journey. I don't remember very much about it because it was, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was quite hard. But um, the bits that I do remember are so clear, and I, I love the stories of them. I love the stories about the other the people that I came across, um, and so that that it wasn't hard because I, I've kept those stories in my head all those all of those years. And loved thinking about them, so it was actually great to be able to write it down and see it all again, and see see it all for myself again. It wasn't that it wasn't that that life that you left behind was so painful that you felt the need to not engage with it. No, not at all, not at all. I wanted to understand why it was painful and to to try and explain why it was, but also to explain that actually it was incredible, and I, you know that that the experience I. I had of the music business in the mid sixties. I, I wouldn't not have had it. I have, I, you know, I, I, I don't mind going back there and, and, and talking about all of that because it was, it was great and it makes me laugh now. <laughs> you know, the, the things that happened and all kinds of things that I haven't put in the book, of course. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, it um. I mean, how lucky am I that anybody would want to, to hear about all of that, you know? Um, yeah, it, it's... it's uh, My overwhelming feeling is of being very fortunate to have, to have a second go at music after abandoning it for so long and then to be able to write about it. I'm very fortunate. Forgetting for a moment that obviously the fact that you did have that second career is a big, obviously a big part of the reason why people want to read a book from you. But forgetting that for a moment, if that hadn't come along, do you feel like you still would have been able to write this book? No. Not not in terms of would people want want to read it, but in terms of that the process of reengaging with those stories. No, I wouldn't. I'd, well, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't, because it was when, when Just Another Diamond Day, my album that I made in 1970, when it came out again in 2000, I was so scared that the same thing would happen. It would be dismissed as, as nursery rhymes for kids, or that it was just a lightweight bit of nothing, bit of fluff. But that didn't happen. And people who were writing about it were maybe the same age that I had been when I made that album. And rather than the way it was dismissed by my contemporaries, it was embraced by this whole new generation of people who understood it in a way that it was meant to be understood. It was a document. It was it was a fantasy. And because these Incredible things were being written about it that I could see on the internet, which was, you know, another great revelation. Um, it made me able to pick up my guitar again and start writing songs again. That that positivity about something that I'd done even thirty years before 
helped me to uh, carry on and make more. Now, I think if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't ever have picked up my guitar again. I would never have written any more songs. I would never have written any more music. And I'm pretty damn sure I'd never have written a book. We want to think that we can make you know, art for the sake of art or that we're, we're so driven to make it that we can't not make it. And we want to think that we are not beholden to the opinions of others. But there are very few people who can actually say that. Absolutely. Oh, completely. And I, I've always felt you know, th- there was something missing in me that I could, couldn't get over the fact that there hadn't been any anything great said about anything that I did that I didn't ha- that I wasn't driven that I wasn't passionate about what I was making and doing enough to get over not having anybody tell me what they thought of it and that has always been a regret yeah a regret that- okay we found the regret <laughs> the regret we got the two regrets singing to your children and that so there yeah. are two regrets but that's you, that's still pretty good at the end of the day yeah yeah, the regret for not being able to overcome that. And, and as you said, to be driven enough by your art to just keep going, keep going, keep going. And, and yes, I, I do regret that I didn't have that strength to keep going. It's so interesting, though, you know, in reading this book and, and, and you know, listening to some interviews that you, that you did around it and realizing that you you hated the record. Or at least you hated what what was you know I guess what was done to you. you. You hated being sort of pigeonholed into this scene, this folk scene that you didn't feel a part of. And for that to be the thing to bring you back into music is kind of amazing. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did hate it. I did. I don't hate it now. <laughs> I'm very grateful. <laughs> it would be bad if you did. Yeah. yeah, I know. But it, even back in 2000, when I was reading things lovely things said about it are they actually listening to it are they talking about the same album that i've rejected and abandoned and loathed all my all all these last years and it's taken me a while to understand that it's okay it's okay Uh, yes and the whole folk thing you know that i never thought of myself as a folk singer and i don't now so when i when it you know when I'm called a folk singer, it always makes me cross. But um, I have to get over it one day. <laughs> I Labels, at the end of the day, genres don't really amount to much. But when you did find your people, when you found your kindred spirits, it was folk singers. Well, if you're talking about the Incredible String Band and Fairport and the people Oh, who- no. Um, uh, you know, Devendra and Joanna Newsom. Yeah. Would you call those people? I folk think so. Now? Well, at the time we called them freak folk. Freak folk, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't. For some reason, I didn't mind that so much. I think, <laughs> but the whole folk singer thing is it for for me. It was the, you know the nineteen fifties and sixties of people with Aaron sweaters and singing songs about uh, sailors and murder. Okay, and, so and it was more of a, a Peter Paul yeah. and Mary than a Bob Dylan thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, uh, well, yes, I suppose the American ones, yes, but the ones here, I didn't, I didn't feel I was any part of, of uh, the folk music people in, in the UK at that time. And they, they, they didn't accept me and I didn't accept them. And, um, you know, I, I thought of myself as a pop singer. And uh, so it was always difficult. And, and then, well, actually, Joe Boyd, who produced Diamond Day, apologized to me recently for bringing in the string band and for bringing in convention people. I didn't know them. I knew nobody at that time. I'd been on the road for a year and a half. Um, for bringing them in because he thought that that's what I was. He thought that, that you know, he said, well, you were living the most folky life of anybody I knew at the time with a horse. And Pastoral <laughs> would be the word I would use. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's a that's a much better word. Um, yeah, and he said, "Yes, I've I've uh, <laughs> condemned you to being called a folk singer all your life." But <laughs> and he did apologize. It was really sweet, really sweet. But um, he 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 had good reason, certainly, for uh, thinking that that's what I was. Um, 
And so it's been quite hard to shake off, and I don't suppose I ever will, you know, uh, uh, because as far as that album goes, it is a folky album. It wasn't, for me, it wasn't meant to be a folky album. I loved the arrangements that Robert Kobe did for strings and recorders. That was more what I had in mind. And the, the other kinds of folky treatment, I, I, it happened. You know, I, I didn't have any say. And that's another difference now. Back then, producer was God. And you didn't go against them. You didn't make big suggestions to make anything any different. Um, but now it's very different. And, and my last album, I produced myself. And, and uh, the one before, I was working with Max Richter and, and we worked together. Um, although he was producer, we worked together on it. And that was the most amazing feeling for me to have some kind of input. Uh, and I think things have just changed hugely. And I'm very glad of that. It's been great for me. Now, when you say last album, Am, am I right in that you mean last album? Full uh, stop? Full stop. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, it's, it's it was 2014 that the last one came out. Yeah, that's coming up on 10 years. Yes, yeah, that's right. And I haven't I haven't written anything since, apart from the book. But you know, I haven't written any songs that have really gelled for me. So I don't, I don't really know. I mean, it wasn't intended to be my last album, but um, when it was being mastered, uh, Mandy Parnell, the, the mastering engineer, turned to me and said, "For your next one, <laughs> I'm coming up to your studio and I'm going to completely redo it because it's dreadful." <laughs> and I said, "Referring to the album that was being mastered at the time, that's yeah, 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 terrible. Yeah, yeah. Why would somebody say that?" Oh, oh, well, oh, no, she didn't mean that the recording was dreadful. She just meant the layout of my studio was, was hopeless and uh, and that she would have put it right. And I said, oh, no, after days and days of this, I said, I'm never doing this again. And um, uh, the, the record label guy from Fat Cat, Dave Howell, was there and uh, he just put it into the promotion material that this will be her last album oh so you were just frustrated at the time and and do, do you feel that that getting out in the way it did that you almost feel like you've had to adhere to that i think maybe there's something in that and subconsciously oh yeah maybe yeah that that you know because it it got taken up in in all kinds of interviews and 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 reviews that this will be her last album i think oh maybe it will i didn't mean it to be i really didn't um and who knows you know there's there's plenty time that i could sure and and you know certainly any album could be your last album that's just how life goes sometimes yes 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 sure so it didn't there was nothing um it didn't have a finality to it no no it didn't uh although the last song that i wrote the the the, the song Hartley, I did feel that that had that song said everything I ever wanted to say, but on the other hand, that's quite a long time ago now. As you say, it's ten years, and so a lot of a lot of life has happened in the meantime. So I've got a lot more to say, maybe. Although it's really, really hard to know how to how do you express what's going on now in song. You feel a sense of obligation when you write a song to attempt to put that into words. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, rather than what's going on in me, what's going on out there, which is in fact what what Diamond Day was, what just another Diamond Day was. It was out there. It wasn't in me, which is which was what my first songs were. That was all about me. Um, and so, yeah I, yeah, I would like to be able to do something like that, whether I can or not, I don't know. Not only, I, I guess, being the last song that you wrote, but also the final song in the album. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when, when you say that a, a single song expressed everything that you were attempting to express at the time, what did, what did it get across that the other songs weren't able to do? I think that the, the cyclical nature of loving and living was, you know, that... Uh, you can 
go through heartbreak and come through it and have a wonderful, wonderful heart-filled time and then another heartbreak. <laughs> and that it that it it goes around and around. And um I think that's what I was trying to say was that it comes back, that there is no end to it, that it comes back and that life and love comes back. Life and love come back, but heartbreak also comes back. Yes. It does. Yeah. It sounds like when you were in a space where you felt like you could write again, that the songs just started coming. Is that safe to say? Yes, really. Um, when the, when I started writing them again, it was as if they'd been there and and, and that they just sort of uh, made themselves seen and heard again. Um, and they came in most extraordinary places. One of them, probably one the one I like best from, from my second album was um, the same but different. And I was in a supermarket <laughs> staring along a shelf of, of, of beans or something, and this it came straight into my mind completely ready-made, and I had to rush home and put it down. And another one just came in the middle of the night completely made it was a song called here before and it, it was as if it had been there all along um and yet other songs you can work and work and work and try to make them work and it takes ages and crafting and fiddling around with it but just some of them were there and i would love it <laughs> if if that would happen again if, you know i could be in a supermarket staring at a bunch of beans and this song would just disappear for me. You ever just go to the store and just stand in the bean aisle? Maybe that's what I should do. <laughs> what was the process for this? The Not this, I, I suppose the third record, but the second record back. That, that didn't happen for, for, for that one. In, in that I wasn't standing in a supermarket staring at you. Uh, but um, a lot of the songs did come very easily. Uh, I didn't have to. I didn't have to force them in any way. That you can, but uh, yeah. That, that, that I think. I think again because look aftering had a lovely response that gave me <laughs> much more confidence, much more ability to just get down and do it. You know, rather than that. Oh, can I do it? Oh, will I do it? Will it happen? Yeah, that terrible fear of the blank sheet of paper. It was it was much easier for for Hartley, really. My theory, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out into the world. Is the this book is coming out? You're gonna a lot of people are gonna be excited about it. So maybe that will get the next cycle going. That would be really great. That would be really great. It really, really, really would. Um, of course, it might just make me write another book, but <laughs> that that would also be fine. I think. Yeah. Do you have anything left to say? I do. Um, in in the book, there's a bit where uh, we went to Ireland and travelled with a horse and wagon there for a while for just a year, and I I refer to it in the book and saying, you know, we had incredible adventures, and maybe I could, that would be for another time. Uh, and that's what I'm writing about now is the year, the year in Ireland in 1971 with a small child, two horses, two dogs, three chickens and a cat <laughs> going across Ireland with a little with, Noah's Ark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the extraordinary things that happened along the way. Because the, the politics in Ireland at that time was Oh, pretty incredible, and we did come across it. And um, I, I, I am writing that one. But as for music, I, you know, yeah, you're right. Maybe if the response to the book is um, something that will maybe unlock something, I hope so. We act like this is a bad thing, but I think that it's good that you recognize in this thing in yourself that you do need, you need a little bit of approval. And and that will get things going again. Approval is a great word, yes. And and disapproval was what was <laughs> what took me away. Approval brought me back. 
Yeah, really. And, and you know, although I'm not terribly proud of that, I, it's, it's human nature. We're imperfect. That's how it goes. That's for sure. Yeah. I was in the process um, of, I suppose, researching for this. I was reading some interviews that you did and you, you had mentioned having met Nick Drake a few times that the, the, that the both of you were too shy, um, which certainly comports with everything that I know about him. What I'm curious about is, as somebody who you know did cross paths with him and was aware of him at the time, what's your take on how his, I guess, mythos has grown over the years? I didn't know him at the time, and I didn't know his music at the time. At the time that that we we met each other, and Joe Boyd tried to get us to write a song together, and that didn't work because either risks could um, manage the other. <laughs> With both being so shy and so reticent and so wordless, I didn't know him. But when I came to to well, the few times I met him, he was clearly having a terrible time. He was clearly in trouble, and, and I could recognize that. And when late in later years I came to know his music and understand much more of what he went through, and I, I, I think I've said it in the book, but I, I knew that he knew he was a genius. I knew I wasn't. But he knew, and that was what was so painful. You know, why do you, why do you keep me hanging on the star? Um, I think that he would be so pleased and happy with what has happened to his music. You know, he wanted it. I'm sure he wanted it. And uh, he couldn't understand why, when everybody was telling him how brilliant he was, why it hadn't worked for him in his own time, you know. Uh, of course, it's a tragedy. And nobody will ever know what really happened to him. But I think, you know, if he could be looking at what has happened about his music and about him, and the, how much incredible love there is for his music and for him, I think he would be pleased. I'm sure he would. 